welcome to episode seven of the Players Coalition Pod, a podcast built by athletes to end social injustice and racial inequality across the country. I'm Master Svatsky, host of Untold Stories on Bleacher Report. In this episode, we continue with the Players Coalition's final installment in our three-part series on police and community relations. In episode five of the series, we dissected police accountability. In episode six, we focus on the issues of the perception of the police and the power of the police unions. In this episode, the focus is on the prosecutors and restorative justice. In his rookie year in the NFL, Players Coalition co-founder Anquan Bolden was unjustly pulled over and ultimately released once the policeman realized who he was. Unwarranted police stops happen far too often, and most don't end with this outcome. You know, you're pulled over, and it's almost like you have to go by a manual whenever you're being pulled over. But there's some times where you're being pulled over and you know it's for the wrong reason. So I'll give you an example. So my first year in the NFL, um, after my first season, I came back home and I shipped my car back home. It was a Mercedes Benz at the time. And where I'm from, you don't usually see Mercedes Benz. So I'm riding and the cop was actually in front of me and I'm riding behind him obviously I'm not speeding because I'm trailing him and I'm trailing him at a you know a decent space I for some reason he looks in the rear view he sees this car he pulls over to the side I continue going he pulls right behind me and then puts his lights on and I'm and I, I knew immediately, once he pulled over, I, here we go. I knew I was getting pulled over. And he pulls behind me, pulls his lights, puts his lights on, I pull to the side. And he comes up to my car, and in my head, I'm like, you stopping me because you wanna know who's driving this car. Like, I already know why you're stopping me. And as a human being, you're, you're ticked off because you have no reason for stopping me. So he stops me and he gives me, do you know how close you should be trailing the car? And like, I wanted to get slick and be like, I have my driver's license. Like I passed the test. So of course I know, but I'm like, yes. And then he asks me the real question, like whose car is this? And I'm like, it's my car, what do you mean? license and registrations. So I give it to him and then he goes back, he checks it, and then I guess he realizes who I am. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. Bolden, I'm so sorry, Dada. And I'm like, are you serious? But like, for me, like, I know why you're pulling me over. And like, I know my rights, obviously, but like, for us, it feels like we have to have some type of restraint. Even though we can be violated at times, we still have to have some kind of restraint when too often officers never have to show that type of restraint. Georgetown Law School professor Christy Lopez investigated police departments for patterns or practices of misconduct. Her discovery made it clear that policing change has much to do with race, socioeconomic inequality, power, and legal barriers. 
I investigated police departments from Chicago to New Orleans to Ferguson to LA to Newark. It's absolutely the history of policing and the history, our tortured history with um, race. It has a lot to do with socioeconomic inequality. And specifically how that relates to policing, I think um, we've seen there are legal barriers to change. A lot of normal human behavior is criminalized in our country. There are insufficient constraints on policing. We give police enormous power. Um, there's a broad scope of policing um, that we allow. Uh, a lot of things that are actually, they're social problems. We deploy police to respond to them. Police will tell you this. Communities know this, but we send out police when, when we need social workers, when we need medical care, when we need mental health care, when we need education. We have a criminal justice system that is uniquely punitive um, in the Western, in the whole entire world. We hand out long sentences, much longer than in other countries. We have harsh conditions of incarceration. And I know this isn't a mass incarceration symposium, but that influences policing. I mean, influences who comes back out into communities and how well they are, and it, and it tears apart communities. I mean, that influences policing. And then I think the last thing I'll just mention is, is guns. I mean, guns are a huge barrier to police reform in this country in a couple of ways. One is they contribute to the type of violence that we see in the streets. Police are taught that every person they meet can kill them. And a lot of the obstacle to training police in de-escalation is that unlike in some other countries, like in the UK where they've been more successful with de-escalation, there is a valid argument people can make here that people in the United States are more likely to carry a weapon. Um, and we've seen that everywhere, that when you have a pro proliferation of guns, it makes it more difficult to argue that police um, should be more restrained. One thing is clear, state and local prosecutors play a huge role in the problems we face with policing. San Francisco District Attorney George Gascon says you have to take the system, turn it upside down. We often forget that, well, certainly police does a lot of the, 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 the problematic work at the field level. The reality is that the prosecutors come in and they, they put the nail in the coffin, and they have in this country for many, many years. Uh, you know, over-incarceration in this country really is not driven by police. It's driven by prosecutors that are elected uh, officials that have been elected, quite frankly, on the top of crime platform, and they continue to be. We're talking about taking the system and turning it upside down. Restorative justice, and I have come to the conclusion after being, having been in the business for over 30 years, and now nine years as an elected prosecutor, and allegedly one of the most progressive counties, and yet one that, you know, I tell you, when you look behind the curtain, there's nothing progressive about what we do. And I would tell you that even the, 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 the system, the, 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 the adversarial system that we have is so broken that it's unfixable unless we're willing to start taking off ramps. And what we have been doing in our office, we're taking entire off ramps where we put young kids into a truly restorative justice model. We look at the New Zealand model of community conferencing. We take lawyers out of the room. We put these kids through, and every one of these kids has a much better chance of not coming back than every one of the kids that we put through the regular system. We're now punching it up to our age of uh, 18 to 25, and my goal eventually would be to make that our mainstream of looking at, the, at everything that we do. We have a county now that when I came in, uh, we were always max capacity in our, in our jail system, and we were sending a lot of people to prison. We have consistently run about 50% capacity. 
That means that there are less people in the jail every day. That means that we're not contaminating those people with other people that are already having all kinds of problems, whether it's mental health driven or otherwise. We have, you know, I came to a county that we prosecuted 60% of our workload was drugs. We're now in the 20 percentile. So the work really has to be redefined and prosecutors pay, play a major role because the prosecutors not only coalesce and frankly, uh, you know, sometimes almost are in cahoots with the police, but they're the ones that really drive this bus at the end of the day. So it's, it's a more complicated thing and just simply saying police, yes, we have to alter the mission of policing, I agree, but it has to go through the entire system. Listen to Players Coalition member Chris Law discuss how prosecutors determine sentencing. More and more people are waking up to the fact that our criminal justice system is in serious need of reform. For far too long, tough on crime under the guise of protecting citizens have led to mass incarceration and mass supervision that have more than anything else, they've led to a profound harmful effect uh, to the most vulnerable people in our society and in particular, our criminal justice system disproportionately impacts people of color and low-income people. And so we at the Players Coalition believe that the community as a whole is better served and protected uh, through these new approaches to criminal justice. And we're working hard and we're committed toward making that a reality. You know, one of the main areas that we focus on is prosecutors and prosecutor accountability. By using their discretion, prosecutors decide who gets charged, what they get charged with, and effectively what the person's sentence will be. But even with this tremendous power, prosecutors must still be responsible to the public. Players Coalition member Adelius Thomas further explains the deep-seated influence district attorneys have on black, brown, and low-income communities. Uh, the district attorney is very important to the judicial system because they determine what is charged. What charge you're going to get? What charge am I going to charge? Is it going to be a lesser charge? Is it going to be, you know, recommended sentences, uh, mandatory sentences, uh, bail? All those things start at the hand of the DA, and he has a lot of influence on how they treat uh, or how they respond to people that's going to jail, how they put systems in place or move financial uh, assistance, whether it's for addiction, or they look at something as addiction, or they look at it as a problem. Listen to Devin McCourty examine the issues discussed in a recent Players Coalition forum held in Queens, New York. He uses district attorney forum to get people out, to get people to come listen. The DA's been there since 1991. You know, a change is coming, and to have something like this, we felt it was the right market for us to step in and try to use our platform to elevate what was going on here in Queens. Police do have influence in the process for a fair or unfair trial. However, the significant power of state and local elected officials cannot be overstated in the courtroom. Listen to former Florida State Representative Sean Shaw discuss how prosecutors are key to fixing policing. I believe it's accurate that there's never been a prosecution of a police officer under the current state attorney here in Miami. You can't tell me those things aren't linked. And that's a political solution. Do you have what you have here in Miami today with someone who has never found a police officer that's ever committed misconduct? I mean, these are issues, that's the real change that you have to make. All this, you know, there's a lot of study about the policies and things we could do, and none of that stuff gets done. You know, none of these independent review boards, politicians have to implement that. How strong is the language about the subpoena power they may or may not have? Politicians have to implement that. And people that you elect. And so do you know who your politicians are, how they feel about these issues, how they may have voted on the independent review bill that came, like all these things 
are important. We've got to push people in power to make these changes. That's how the change is going to happen. And until those people in power are required to have these conversations in conference rooms and in committees, then what you're going to continue to get is what we have now. People that get behind podiums and say, I'm for this. And then when they walk away from that podium, they're never going to do anything that actually requires real change uh, because a vast majority of this country, or the electorate at least, are not prone to do anything that even would approach holding police accountable. Now, let's examine the concept of restorative justice. Listen to Alex Vital, author of The End of Policing, explain why a shift of focus from safety to investment in our communities is necessary to rebuild the relationship with the police. Our communities have problems. My, my students face tremendous problems at Brooklyn College. There are problems of violence and drug overdoses and untreated mental health problems. And these produce additional problems for communities. And we have to put that front and center in the work we do. The problem is that criminal justice-led solutions often do not work in solving those problems. They manage those problems. They do not solve them. And even when they can point to a study here or there that shows some incremental improvement because of what they did, it comes with tremendous collateral consequences. It's about Xing out 20% of the community to save 80% of the community, and that's not justice. Justice is how do we build up communities? How do we build up individuals so that we don't have these problems? And that means investing in things like drug treatment on demand and summer youth jobs and quality community-based mental health services and community-based anti-violence initiatives. That's how we produce safety. And we've got an ocean of research about programs like restorative justice in the school when properly implemented, well-funded, done from top to bottom. It is better. Gascon explains that redemption for those incarcerated is the only way to advance criminal justice reform. You know, when I talk about criminal justice reform, I try to convey the ultimate message, but I try to take the approach that I think is going to be most successful with my audience. Um, if I'm talking to an audience that is politically conservative, I may be talking about the economic impact of over-incarceration. If I'm talking to a community that sees more the way that I do, I may be talking about social justice. Sometimes I'm gonna mix the two. I think when we're talking about individuals that perhaps have a prior criminal record, you know, the way that I come at them, and it doesn't really matter which way, is if you want people to be reintegrated into a community, if you want to provide for greater public safety opportunities, you have to be willing to allow people room for redemption. You have to give them a space, and part of the space is being able to be part of the political process, regardless of whether they have been arrested or prosecuted or convicted before, number one. Number two, it's sometimes good to talk about the disproportionality of the criminal justice system. You know, you may be talking to someone that has a prior conviction for drugs, but I tell you what, you can talk to any white American community and you tell them, tell me in this room, how many people have never used an illegal drug? <laughs> raise your hand. And if they're honest, you know, there's very few people that are going to raise their hand. And, I, and believe me, I've tried this, so I, I can tell you that it works. And then the next question is, how many of you have been arrested for that drug, possession and use? 
And again, they, very unlikely that there's going to be any hands coming up unless you have a poor white person coming from a poor community or they had a black friend or a brown friend and they got arrested with them. And then you say, you know what, if we had a room full of brown and black people here and I ask the same questions, there would be a lot of hands going up for the same behavior that you committed and you had no criminal consequences, but they did. Now, is that fair? And when you start coming and putting it in those terms, you start then winning some hearts and minds to then be willing to listen to that person that, guess what? Yeah, they were convicted. Yeah, they did a little hard time somewhere, but now we want to bring him back, and we got we to gotta give him an opportunity to be part of the system and part of the solution, and not somebody that is going to be continuously marginalized because they're going to continue to hurt himself and hurt others. The modern era of social activism in the NFL has been ongoing for years as players have continuously volunteered their time to help support their local communities. While hundreds of players each NFL season are involved in this type of community outreach, these efforts rarely make the news. It's essential to recognize that while giving back is important, the members of the Players Coalition are using their influence to advocate for those who do not have proper representation and are actively pushing to reform the systems which govern us. Calvin Beecham explains why he got involved and his goal to help improve the lives of those in need. But I wanted to get involved with the Players Coalition was because I wanted to see us do something together, uh, something that would last longer than any of us. Um, and it's not many times that you're able to get players to, to drop their egos and not think about their egos and not think about themselves and actually come together to, to fight for something uh, that's bigger than them, that's, that has greater impact. And I think that we've come uh, to a time where it's more sophisticated athletes to realize we can't do this alone and we need to find a way to galvanize each other's interest um, and find a way to, to come together and do something together. Black, white, and different, you know, American-born, immigrants, what have you, coming together to find a way to do something that's impactful. And for me, that's what drew me to the opportunity to be a part of the Players' Coalition. Um, and hopefully we can get more players to be involved with this because this is something that is going to last way longer than any of us playing uh, professional sports in general. And for me, uh, that's what's most special about the Players Coalition is this is guys from all different walks of life, socioeconomic backgrounds that are all coming together to fight for, for one common goal. Um, and that common goal is to make sure that we find out what is right and find a way to rectify uh, the things that we know are killing our country um, and, and, and really uh, marginalizing the people that have already been marginalized for so many years here in this country. Players Coalition co-founder Malcolm Jenkins discusses how the criminal justice system was designed and what the Players Coalition is doing to change this. We need everybody to recognize what's going on first um, and, and then really stand on the table so that we can change this because quite frankly the, the system is working like it was designed to work. And that's one thing that, <laughs> that we don't talk about often, is that this system was, was you know, designed to protect a certain population um, at the expense of another. And over, over time, it just, it's really just destroyed, I think, the fabric of, of this country. And until we think about radical changes to how we uh, go about you know, uh, punishment or you know, correcting people, um, you know, we'll continue to be in this cycle. The Players Coalition exists to promote racial equality and end social injustice so future generations have the opportunity to thrive without barriers. Listen to NFL cornerback Josh Norman discuss how the Players Coalition came together 
out of a need for change. It started out, to be honest with you, with a group text. I came along from hearing about it and seeing things on TV, and somehow I found my way in a text. <laughs> and pretty much I wanted to see change happen. I really did. And so therefore, I voiced my opinions on things of which I felt was right, and others did as well. And it was something that was being born from pretty much guys that wanted to make change. Listen to Doug Baldwin explain in crystal clear terms why improving the relationship between the police and our communities is essential. For me, when we have the conversation about uh, the relationship between the community and law enforcement, it always comes back to empathy and to truly understanding that we are just human beings all trying to survive and live on this planet in harmony. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is we all want the same thing. Law enforcement want to go home to their families and be safe. The community wants to feel like they're safe and that they can go home to their families as well. And so at the end of the day, if we can inject empathy into the conversation and then we can move forward with common sense solutions that build and bridge the gap between law enforcement and the community, then we'll have a safer, more dynamic, more healthy uh, relationship and community and, a, as a whole. And the important element of that is that it, it doesn't just resonate with the individuals and adults now, but it permeates itself into the future and with our children and how they grow up and the, the quality of lives that they will lead in the future. The mission is to achieve social and racial equality using the Players Coalition's influence and support to impact systemic, social, and civic change in police and communities. It's time to hold police officers accountable and change the culture. Get police out of schools. Stop arresting children. And stop asking police to do so much. Support the mission of the Players Coalition seeking to improve underserved communities. To learn more and to get involved, follow at Player Coalition on Twitter and at Players Coalition on Instagram. Thanks for listening. I'm Mash Desfato. Thank you.